Welcome back to another AP World History. Uh, we are going to be diving into Chapter 8 this week, and so we're going to look at China here and the world around it. And uh, we're going to start off looking at the dynasties. Uh, then the next episode will be on uh, China and its neighbors uh, to the north, south, and east. And then uh, we'll wrap up with looking how China interacts with the world at maybe a little bit longer distance with uh, trade and with Buddhism. Okay, so uh, starting off, we, we probably just want to do a quick refresher here. Uh, remember China uh, during the classical era uh, had the Qin and the Han dynasty and they just came out of the Warring States era. Uh, the Han collapsed around 200 uh, CE and uh, now we're getting into the dynasties that are bringing and uniting China back together, uh, which is something we won't see in, in Europe where uh, the Romans were, you won't see a reunification there in the West. Uh, but here in China, we consistently see this reunification under the, the dynasties. And so um, there's about 300 years of disunity, and uh, that ends with the Sui dynasty, uh, which uh, used camels and were more of a nomadic people outside that eventually came in and, and began the reunification. Uh, but they were very mil militaristic. They uh, spent a lot of money on some major projects, the big one being the uh, Grand Canal, which would unite North and South China, uh, linking the Yangtze to the Yellow River. And um, it's really expensive. People don't like the rule. And so it's very much like the Qin Dynasty in that they then collapse uh, shortly into the dynasty. Um, if you look at it, the dates, uh, 589 to 618, so about 30 years or so. Uh, as it takes before they, they collapse. Um, out of them, or out of the ashes of that empire, or that dynasty, uh, the Tang rise up, and the Tang are going to last for a good long while, uh, from 618 to 907, and then after the Tang, um, you're going to get the Song, which come about in 960 to 1279, so two, two fairly stable dynasties after that. Um, the Tang are known as a, a golden age uh, for arts and lit in China, um, as well as uh, you're going to get this Neo-Confucianism towards the end of the Tang Dynasty, really going into the Song Dynasty, where we see this mixing of Confucian ideas with Buddhist and Taoist ideas. Um, it's also going to bring us the practice of foot binding um, and a resurgence in kind of patriarchal views on things. Um, and the, the bureaucracy, the Chinese bureaucracy, will be reestablished and be looking at this kind of view of Confucianism, not necessarily the Confucianism that we saw way back in the, the Han Dynasty. So um, you get that coming back. Uh, the, the Tang, one thing to mention is that they were very, uh, they were okay with Buddhism, whereas when we talk about the Song, they were not okay with Buddhism. Uh, they tried to eliminate them. And the Tang were, were good for the most part until the end when they started seeing uh, their support in China slipping, and they tried to do that to appease them, uh, to appease the people that were upset with them running the country because uh, the Tang were also not really Chinese. The Song or the, the Han Chinese, the Tang were a uh, tribe that came in to China, settled there, and, and adopted Chinese culture and things like that, but were not entirely Chinese as, as the, the Han or the very conservative people in China would like to see. Um, the, the Tang, though, set up uh, six uh, ministries to help run the country, so they bring back this bureaucracy to help make things run better. And so you have one of personnel, uh, one of finance, one of rights, dealing with religion, one with the army, one with justice, so the law, and one with public works, so things like the, the dikes on rivers, uh, the canal, uh, all those things that you might need, roads, connecting things. And um, 
then they created a sensor it to look over all of them and make sure that they're all doing what they want to do because even as even though you've broken it down to just six things to look over for the emperor that's still a lot to make sure that things are happening so you have another group that looks over all that that then can report to the emperor and uh with this you get the revival of the civil service exam going around confucian ideas again and then later to neo-confucianism and um the people again it'll be open to everyone uh, but the upper class will have the advantage and the upper class will also try to cheat the system and bribe their way through and do other things. And so um, it, it runs into problems. It's never going to be perfect or anything like that. And so you'll get towards the end when the dynasties collapse, either whether it be the, the Tang or the Song, um, you're going to be seeing a lot more corruption going on at those times, especially with people um, really cheating the system and that they are getting... Uh, getting placed because they've paid the the ministers or whoever money to get in instead of being actually good um, citizens. Um, what else happens? So outside of kind of government, uh, you have a new rice that comes from Vietnam that makes its way up, which is going to lead to a huge population boom, which is going to allow for more expansion. And we'll see China get into and take over a larger area. Uh, because they can have a larger military. It's also going to lead to more urbanization, so you're going to have more cities, like the city of Hangzhou uh, will have a million people. Um, that'll be into the Yuan dynasty, really, because, um, well, we'll see Marco Polo visited in the Yuan dynasty. I should say it that way. Uh, it was rising up to that way before the, the Yuan dynasty. And with these large cities, you get a lot of diversity and you get a lot of wealth, uh, especially with them being focuses for trading centers. Um, so you, you get um, you get all the people in the Indian Ocean trade going to the ones on the southern uh, part of China, and you get the Silk Road ones more towards the western part of China that are just growing huge and, and having lots of different um, – whatever specialties so you have kind of the silk makers in there that are uh, producing new uh, silks and stuff like that you have new porcelain makers you have all these different people there um, making stuff to sell but also merchants coming in and, and settling in different regions of the city or areas of the city to uh, make their little communities to sell their goods from abroad and also with all this we're going to see technology improve with better uh, workers and specialization you're going to get better iron uh, we're going to see printing uh, being done. This is the first place that we see printing on paper instead of having to write everything down. Now, the printing was originally wood block printing, so you'd have to carve in what you want and then you'd press it down with the ink. But eventually they get to movable type, uh, and it's argued whether or not uh, this movable type then influenced uh, Johannes Gutenberg. We'll talk about him when we get to uh, more of the uh, Renaissance. Um, but uh, his movable type printing with the Gutenberg press, uh, some will argue that he just stole it from the Chinese, others say he did it independently. Uh, we'll talk about that more later. And um, this, although printing is huge in that it lessens the price of books or, or, or paper and stuff to read, and so you see education levels going up where you see more people being able to get access to, to those materials. And then as well, uh, gunpowder is, is made and it's being used as a weapon. And this is huge because that's going to change warfare in the long run. Uh, fun story with gunpowder, if you didn't know. Um, its original purpose wasn't to make fireworks or to, to be a weapon or anything like that. They were looking to make an elixir and uh, for life to, to extend lives. And instead, this would have been like very bad to try to ingest and would have taken your life. 
but um, it accidentally uh, uh, was seen to catch fire quickly and, and make an explosion, and then they went, oh, we can use this for something else. Um, and then uh, with uh, this expansion of, of people, and, and I've already brought up the trade a little bit with the urbanization, uh, you get people in, in the regions and in, in the countryside rural areas really focusing on uh, farming certain things. So uh, if you're a rice farmer, you might really just focus on rice farming, but um, that, that can still support your family. There are others that go pretty much strictly to, to silk or some type of cash crop that they can then sell for lots of money, but uh, can be really uh, affected by it by um, if, the, if the market goes down. And so you can see some major chaos going on in the markets then. Um, last thing to mention here, with the Tang Dynasty, they were more open to women, uh, but we're going to see a shift when we get to the Song Dynasty. The Song Dynasty, uh, not so much, because again, we have that rise in Neo-Confucianism, and so like I already mentioned, there's foot binding. Uh, the whole goal of this was to make the woman's foot as, as small as possible, because uh, that was deemed the most beautiful thing about them, is having a small a small foot. And we'll talk about that more in class. Um, but uh, this, this then takes away freedom from women. They don't have as much uh, rights to exercise, and they don't have the ability to really go out in the community because of foot binding. Uh, what it does, it's really difficult to walk, um, and so uh, it causes a lot of problems for them. Uh, but um, the, the focus of gender roles here at this time, other than women binding their feet, is that men were supposed to be good scholars, and the women were supposed to just stay at home and, and stay out of the way of things and, and make food or, or take care of the kids and whatnot. Um, and also with foot binding, one thing to bring up, this is, this is only an elite thing. You have to be able to uh, be able to sacrifice your feet and not have to do any work to be able to do this. If you are a poor peasant farmer, uh, wife, you're going to be needed in the fields. There is no way your foot are being bound. Um, so uh, that's not possible. And um, uh, the foot binding and just the, the kind of differences between the elites with the desire for silk leads to that being more commercialized, like we kind of talked about with the, with the markets there. Um, and the one positive thing for women is they did gain a few uh, property rights uh, and um, they were expected to have a little bit of education if they're in the upper classes because they were the ones that needed to educate their sons. So um, there is some better life coming for them, but it's not, uh, it, there's, there's some give and take there. And, and the take uh, from a modern perspective might look a little worse than the give, but it was a partial step forward in there. Um, one final thing to mention with foot binding, that's going to last so we're, we're talking about this happens around the uh, 900s or so, that foot binding starts to become a, a major fashion trend. That's going to last for another uh, over a thousand years uh, going into the modern era until the Communist Party in China takes over and bans it completely. Uh, we'll see the Yuan or the Mongols also ban it, but that didn't really stop the culture. It hasn't stopped until modern days. And so there haven't really been any new foot binding incidences uh, in the modern era. Um, so... We'll talk about that, though, again, a little bit more in class. So that's uh, the Chinese Empire, uh, kind of a rough sketch of it. Um, next, we'll take a look at their uh, boarding regions and their neighbors and how they interact.